Well, hey, Heritage, how you doing? Doing good? Good to hear. Hey, I want to just welcome everybody across our network, people at Bettendorf. I am so glad that you're here. We send our love to you. Men of Kiwani, we are so glad that you're a part of our body, and we have been so impressed by the pieces of art that you've contributed to the series. It's so cool that you, uh, you have, have kind of leaned into this that way. Uh, people who are checking us out online, thank you so much. And of course, Rock Island, I am so glad to be able to see you and worship with you all together. Heritage Church is my tribe. You are my spiritual family. I love you and I love this body of believers. And this is such an honor to be able to be with you today. My name is Josh Howard. I get to serve as the assistant campus pastor here at the Rock Island campus. And uh, I've been on staff at Heritage for three years and I just love the women and the men that I get to work with on a day in and day out basis. Now, speaking of which, I want you to know right up front this morning that Justin Barnes, Pastor Justin was supposed to be here in this space right here on this platform teaching this weekend. And uh, about Wednesday or Thursday, he started to feel pretty icky. And so he called his doctor, his doctor said, emergency. And uh, he went to the hospital and had emergency surgery on Thursday, and he's fine. Just so that you kind of know right up front, he's doing well, he's doing good, and he's at home resting. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but, uh, but we thought it might be a stretch to ask him to, 48 hours after surgery, preach a whole weekend of sermons. So we gave him the week off, we gave him space. But I wanted to know, church and, and Bettendorf, get on this as well. Could we just spend a moment and pray specifically for Justin and his family? Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your love and your concern for us. And I thank you that you lean in in times of trouble. And I, I just lift up Pastor Justin to you right now. And, and wherever he's at, whatever state he's in, if there's pain or whatever it looks like, Lord, would you just remind him of your love and your presence in his life? Would you bring healing where there's sickness? Would you bring restoration and, and recovery from surgery? That it would just be smooth sailing from here on out. And that he would be back on his feet and loving people the way he does uh, as soon as possible. I pray for Jesse and the kids that as they kind of surround him and support him and love him in this, in this moment, God, that you would give them strength as well. And that you would just hold this dear family in the palm of your hand and just protect and guide in this season. We love you. We thank you so much for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Now, what that means, practically speaking, for you is that instead of Justin, you're stuck with me. Wah, wah, you know, what's that wah, wah song? But here's the deal. The, the news gets even worse. It's sort of like my mind always goes to baseball. Uh, and so I'm thinking of like pitchers going on short rest, okay? And that's like a preacher going on a short preparation cycle, okay? I don't know what's going to happen, all right? I, I just don't. But here's the deal, and here's, here's kind of the agreement that I want to make with you in this space. Uh, I promise to give everything I have to this moment. I promise to lean in with everything that I am. And in, in, in exchange, my ask of you is, would you be willing to lean in with me? And together, could we together trust the Holy Spirit to do something beyond imagination today? Could we ask him to turn this space into sacred Space. Would you, are you on board with me on that? Would you be willing to do that? Okay. <clears throat> That's encouraging to hear at one last piece of housekeeping. If you're a note taker and you're looking at the sermon notes, they're a hot mess today. Okay. 
All right, pages one and two, those were created by Justin. He hit his deadline and, and everything was ready to go for the weekend. And so one and two are not gonna be great for you. Might I suggest that page three is probably your best option today, all right? The blank page, that's, that's, the, play, that's the page to go with, all right? And uh, I'm going to echo certain things that Justin was going to say, and I'm going to kind of go in different directions and certain spots, but, but uh, just, just so that you kind of know that that's kind of the reality. We were thinking uh, this weekend, there's a couple of things that you can do if you, get, if you get bored. You could play Mad Libs with Justin's notes, you know, the first two pages, or you can try to guess what he was going to say. And, uh, you know, maybe that'll get you through. I don't know. But here we go. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be with you in this moment, and I'm trusting that the Lord's going to do something great. We just launched a new series last weekend. Pastor Sean did this beautiful job of launching this new series called The Parables of Jesus, and, uh, and I love the parables. It's, it's a part of the scriptures that resonate with me because I love stories and I connect with stories and I love that Jesus would tell stories and then leverage them in different ways. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, uh, I love the definition that Sean left with us last week about what a parable is. And so I want to just kind of leave that with you again today, but a parable is a simple story with a spiritual truth. It's a simple story with a spiritual truth. And what, what I love is how different each of these stories is leveraged by Jesus. Sometimes Jesus would drop a story and then he would explain what he meant. And then other times he would drop a story and kind of throw it like a grenade and just let it go off. No explanation. Just let's see where this lands. There's other stories that he, he gives that are very clear in meaning. And then there's other stories that are pretty abstract and pretty mysterious and, and even sometimes a little bit vague. Some of the stories are meant to comfort and there are other stories that were designed for the exact opposite, to almost shake somebody awake from a stupor where, where you're designed to be uncomfortable in that space. And right up front, I want to tell you today that our parable, actually, there's two parables back to back. Our parables today serve as very wise advice for us, but Jesus bookends these two parables with some pretty strong language that actually comes across as surprising for what we know about Jesus and, and pretty surprising for modern ears. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 25 through 33. We're going to be right here all day today. We're going to dovetail once at the very end, but you can just leave that open if you've got your scriptures or your device, and we're just going to kind of dive in and see what the Lord has for us in this passage. I'm going to pick up in verse 25, and this is the, the kind of the opening framing statement from Jesus. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Wait, what did Jesus say? What, what, what did you just say? That this is stark language and using the word hate at such a strong word. Have any of you have, have like a word police person in your life, right? And you try to use the word hate in front of them? Like, oh, I hate vegetables, which is true of me. I hate vegetables. And they say, uh, hate is quite an ugly word. We're going to change the word to what? 
dislike or strongly dislike. So you might say, I strongly dislike vegetables. Does not have the same ring as I hate vegetables. And I'm not, in, con, I'm not condoning that you just go out and say hate all the time, but what I am trying to, to suggest is that there is a certain power, there is a certain strength to the word hate. And, and, and this is a grouping of sentences that Jesus communicates that you would not expect to come out of his mouth. And there have been folks throughout church history that have attempted to uh, interpret this passage literally, and in doing so, they've made some pretty harmful choices in uh, how they treat their family, all in the name of following Jesus. And I want you all to know right up front that Jesus here is using a pretty common teaching tool for Jewish teaching, and it's called hyperbole, or a fancy word for he's overstating things here. He's exaggerating in order to illustrate something deeply important. Jesus is not saying in this passage that we need to literally hate our family, but he's using exaggeration here to show us that the choice to follow him is a radical choice. And it's going to require a clear priority and allegiances. And at this point, I, I want to drop on you something that Pastor Justin intended to drop on you in this moment. And I want to say this, that salvation is a gift, but following Jesus comes with a cost. Salvation is a free gift, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But following Jesus comes with a cost. And Jesus here is using hyperbole. He's using overstatement in order to illustrate this reality. That, that when we decide to invite Jesus into our, our lives, when we decide to align our heartbeat with the heartbeat of Jesus, choices will be made and those choices are costly. And what Jesus is suggesting here is that our relationship with God as Father, Son, and Spirit it should take priority over everything else in our lives. He is not saying that our love for God should somehow lead us into hatred or, or to treat our family poorly or with disdain. That would actually run counter to other places in the scripture and, and other places in Jesus' teaching where he talks about, you know, the, the great commandment. Part of that is to love your neighbor as yourself. That would run counter to that teaching. So what he's trying to tell us is that radical followership is a costly thing. When we prioritize around the way of Jesus, sometimes it's going to have significant ripple, and particularly sometimes in our family relationships. Believe it when I say Jesus chose the, these, the, the verbiage very carefully. He was, he was very intentional about everything he said, and he chose sort of these, this, these comparisons very carefully because there are cultures in our world where family unity, family togetherness, family solidarity are seen as the highest possible good, the highest possible value. And, and family unity is, is a good thing. But here Jesus is, is reminding us, not so gently, that the highest good is actually following God as Father, Son, and Spirit and it will sometimes disrupt family unity, particularly when we're dealing with, with maybe another family member that doesn't understand why we believe what we believe. It's something actually that commonly occurred in the early church. If you think about it, there were so many early church Christians that, that had to pull out of certain aspects of the Jewish tradition, and it caused severe strain on their families. It was a costly decision. Now, one of the things that I appreciate about the New Living Translation, and, and honestly, I didn't check 
Other translations might say it the same way, but one of the things that I appreciate about the translation that we just kind of dialogued with is, uh, is this statement here, you must, and this is the statement, by comparison. I, I am really grateful that that word by comparison is there because then it begins to frame what exactly Jesus is saying. It begins to help us understand the overstatement here, that, that we're not literally to hate our, our family, but, but in comparison to our allegiance and loyalty to God and to Jesus and to spirit, to the kingdom of God, everything else should pale in comparison. Now, I don't know, uh, I've been doing kind of a heart audit in my life, and I don't know if this is going to be maybe too inside my heart for you. I I don't know. But I've actually been thinking about this, and and it kind of started on Father's Day this year, just about a month ago. And my daughter uh, posted a Father's Day post to me on Facebook. And it was beautiful. It was sweet. It was one of those moments where I kind of screenshotted it, and I'm going to, you know, tuck it away in in like a file so that I I never lose it. Like, it was just a really sweet thing. But but, but she, what she wrote in this post actually caused me pause in my spirit and asked, it caused me to ask the question, how and what am I communicating to my kids as, as being important to me? Now, something that you're going to find out about me if you get to know me pretty quickly is that I'm a deeply passionate person, but it's only about a really narrow sliver of things. And most of them are nerdy. Okay, I understand. I get that. I confess. I have a handful of things that I love, and I try to go deep with those things. I just, I invest a lot of time in trying to discover history and how those things were created, and, and, and I just love going deep with those things. And on this Father's Day post, my, my daughter thanked me for sharing some of those passions with her. And this is a quote. She says, thank you for sharing your love of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, and Marvel movies with me. And then that was it. That, that's, all she, that's all she said, you know, about this. And, and by the way, for you Marvel fans that are out there, she signed off this note with, I love you 3,000. Oh, 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 man. All right. So now if you were to, to pull my son, who is quite a bit less uh, verbal, <laughs> In his communication, like for instance, his Father's Day note to me went like this. You guys ready for it? Happy Father's Day. That was it. That was all he wrote. That was all he gave me. Okay, I'll take it, buddy. But if you were to to kind of press him, he would probably thank me for passing along my love of baseball or the St. Louis Cardinals. But but friends, listen, if if those are the things, if those are the only things that I leave behind to my kids, then I have failed as a dad. And, And I'm sure that both of my kids would say, hey, look, You've had spiritual influence on me, but, but this post caused me to think about how, how hot my passions are for certain things in life, and, and what do I talk about with my kids, and what do I express as important to them, and it caused me to ask a question that, and I wonder, by comparison, is my love and loyalty and allegiance to Jesus so strong that those other things pale in comparison? And then the follow-up question is this, do I talk to my kids as passionately about Jesus as I do say, Star Wars or baseball. And I have to begin to ask the tough question and admit sometimes those things are out of whack. Now, I don't know if any of that kind of lands on you or is helpful to you, but I do think there's a question to pull out of this that I'm gonna put on the screen. And the question is this, is your allegiance, loyalty, love, and passion for Jesus so strong that everything else pales in comparison? It's a really important question to ask. 
See, friends, I'm really, really thankful for the free gift of salvation, but let's be honest and upfront about the reality that there is a cost to following Jesus, and the cost is being willing to lay aside some of those things that might divert passion and energy and, and obedience and followership from Jesus. The cost is being willing to lay aside anything that would get in the way of your full surrender and submission to the way Jesus wants you to live, to lay aside anything that might become an idol in your life. This is all so important to reflect on, and this is all what Jesus is trying to get across in this opening statement of, of, of teaching for us. Now, right about now, you might be looking at your watch, you might be saying, you know what, we're about halfway through the sermon, and there's been no mention of a parable at all. Where's the parable? I am here for the parable. Well, here we go. We're going to deal with two of them right in a row. We're going to read them right in a row, starting in verse 28. And uh, just track with me here, the first parable. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or second parable, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. And then he caps all of this, uh, he kind of summarizes all of this up with this statement. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Two examples, uh, and, and they're great examples. They're, they're actually very, very, very relatable construction military. You don't have to be in those fields to understand what's going on here. It, but, but before you start a project, before you start a war, before you start anything that has any sort of ripple, you should do a pre-check evaluation on whether you have what it takes to get the job done. You know, I was thinking about this. We kind of have our own live, ongoing example of Jesus's first parable, the construction parable, that's going on here in the Quad Cities, right? I mean, we, we see this going on. And say what you want about the traffic snarls and the delays and whether Illinois has enough money to pay for their portion, what, you know, whatever. Say what you want. But I... My mind gets boggled by the amount of, of planning that goes into a project like this. Like, I cannot fathom all of it. There, there had to be a huge sit-down at the beginning and all the way through the process to organize resources and timing and, and people and, and the architecture. It's, it's baffling to me when I drive by certain interpasses for them to think through like, okay, if this road is now closed, then we have to provide this way and, and this overpass is being destroyed. So we're going to have to remove people. I mean, it's just been nutso to me to, to watch, but it's been super impressive to me to watch this thing come through. And, and I was thinking about this. What if the pre-planning that we hit a snag and it caused a complete stoppage of the work right now. How awful that would be to only have half a span that's open and then we would have to keep using that green monster, you know, over and over. It would be awful. And not only that, but this, you know, other cities, other states would come and look at us and we would be the laughingstock because we didn't plan wisely. 
And, and it just makes me think about these parables and, and how these two parables that Jesus gives to us are actually a gift. Because here's the deal. Jesus wants us to have our eyes wide open to the reality of following him. There are no hidden costs. You know, Jesus cannot be accused of, of hidden costs. Jesus cannot be accused of, of a, a cost increase after a year. Cable satellite users, you know what I'm talking about on that, right? That Jesus cannot be accused of this. No, Jesus is stating the cost of followership right up front. He's letting us know right up front, hey, you want to jump in, that's great. I want you to jump in, but it's not going to be easy. And there's going to be conflicting loyalties. And a true disciple of Jesus will learn to lay aside anything that stands in the way of following Jesus completely. So Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me. It's good for you to follow me, but, but I want you up front to know the cost of followership, in the same way that you need to know the cost of starting anything of significance, just know what you're getting into before you jump. I want you to jump with your eyes wide open. Now, the, the gift in this is this. Uh, down the road, whatever it is, one year, five years, 10 years down the road of your faith journey, when you hit a snag, when you hit a challenge, when you hit something that causes you pain, if you know up front what the cost was going to be, it's going to help prevent some disillusionment in God's provision for you. Because Jesus was honest with us from the beginning. And this is, this is a beautiful gift that he's extending to us. Now, one of the things I notice about this passage that's really interesting to me is that Jesus, or, or you might even say Luke, because Luke kind of edited these stories together, but, but this passage doesn't really let us off the hook. You know, he ends this segment of thought with, so you cannot become my disciples without giving up everything you own. That's pretty strong language. It really kind of mirrors the strong language from the beginning of this passage. It's radical language to describe radical followership. But I'm convinced, friends, that this is also another moment of exaggeration or of intentional overstatement from Jesus, where, where I don't think he literally means that you have to give everything you have away before you're actually a true disciple. If that were the case, we would have no disciples in this room today. Right? I don't think he's being literal with this, but what I do actually think that he's saying is more like this. Live your life with an open hand. Live your life with an open hand. Nothing you have is more valuable than the relationship you're developing with me, with, with Jesus. That's what he's saying here. But, but again, notice, Jesus is not letting his listeners, or Luke is not letting the listeners off the hook here. He, he drops these strong statements, he drops these parables, and then on to the next chapter, another set of parables. There's, there's really nothing to soften the blow, it's just cost, and then he's on to something else. But today, I want to use the full witness of the scriptures to help us understand something that will hopefully take the edge and, and give a little bit of hope to this teaching. And I would sum it up by saying this, that many things in life will cost us but a relationship with Jesus has the best return on investment. Amen. Amen. 
ROI, right? There's this financial term, you know, where, where I'm no financial guru, but I understand this piece of it, where you, you put money down onto something, you invest something, an upfront cost, and then over time, you get that back with interest. And, and Jesus asks us to die to ourselves, to repent of our sin, to give up our idolatry. That is the upfront and ongoing cost of discipleship. But what we find, friends, and this is the hopeful part, is what we find is when we die to ourselves, we are actually raised up into abundant and eternal life. When we hand over control to Jesus, what he begins to do is actually rewire us into our original design to reform us into the women and the men that he had always intended for us to be. And I love this. There is so much hope in this that the reward is so great for the investment that we make. I had a chance to talk with Pastor Justin briefly this week. It was on Wednesday. It was before I knew he was not feeling great. And he was just kind of, he was in Rock Island and, and walked into my office and we talked for a little bit. And he, he mentioned a story that he wanted to use in this space that I'm actually going to steal and I'm going to use it. And it's a story that I've seen before. Many of you maybe have too. It's probably an online kind of thing. But, but it's a story about a, a little girl who uh, had a fake pearl necklace. And she loved this thing. She wore it everywhere and she adored it and she would not part ways with it. And just, it, it meant a lot to her. But she had a loving father who saw this, this, this love for this fake pearl necklace. And so in an extravagant display of love, he goes out and he buys the real deal. He buys a real necklace full of real pearls and just wants to bless her with it. It's costly, it's beautiful, it's authentic. And he wants to give this gift to her. And so when he goes to present it, he, he realizes she is not going to take her old necklace off in order to receive this new and improved necklace. And, and she's not going to let go of the thing that she thinks is so valuable because, because she just doesn't understand. She doesn't understand that what the father is offering is of more value and is more authentic and is more beautiful. And so she's just refusing to let go. So many times we are the little girl in that story with God where we just cling to what we think is best. We live life with a closed fist and a tight grip, closed around the things that we've convinced ourselves that we cannot live without. And, and, and we refuse to let go. And my question to you is, what is your set of fake pearls? What, what is that issue in your life that you can't let go of? Insert your own thing here and just understand that God is waiting for you to understand that while followership is a costly thing and it will cost you something, the return on investment is astronomical. It's out of this world. It's amazing. He wants us to trade in those old habits for new resurrection habits. He wants us to trade in old attitudes for new joy and hope-infused attitudes, to trade in bitterness and unforgiveness for love and compassion. You know what, friends? He might even want you to trade in something that's actually really good. Like, I think that's why he used kind of the example of family. He might want you to trade in, you know, something that is, something that is good in your life that is diverting attention from him so that you can experience the very best that he has for you. Ultimately, he is wanting you to trade death for life, for his life. It reminds me of something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. It's beautiful. I have been crucified with Christ. 
And catch this, I no longer live. That's the death, that's the trade-off, the great exchange. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we are willing to die to self, we share in the suffering of Jesus so that he can then lift us up out of death into new life and into new purpose. It is amazing. It's, it's what church history has called the great exchange. It's, it's an amazing gift that God gives to us. And I was thinking about this, about all of the rhythms and practices and things that the church has in place. And I was thinking about the, the, the sacrament that really connects uh, closely to, to this concept of the great exchange is baptism, right? When you think about baptism, you think about baptism symbolically, there is an upfront cost to baptism where, where the water is supposed to represent death. The water is supposed to represent a grave. In fact, there was a season in uh, church history where they created baptistries to look like graves as much as possible. Here's an example. Uh, this is an ancient church baptistry. They would just dig a hole in the dirt and uh, fill it up with water, but they wanted to make it look like a grave because symbolically the water in baptism is supposed to represent death and the grave. And when we allow ourselves to be taken under the water, it's symbolic of our allowing ourselves to be, to share in the suffering of Jesus. And it's symbolic of our letting go of any competing alliance or loyalty of dying to ourselves. And then if you think about this, Symbolically, going under the water is a really risky proposition because it represents between death and life. It represents, you know, going between Good Friday and Easter. It's a really scary middle space. And that's why when a person bursts up out of the water, we celebrate so hard because it's representative of, of what Jesus has done in our life of being cleaned and repurposed and forgiven and freed and resurrected, that we begin to get a sense of our return on investment. It is a beautiful sacrament. I love, love baptism. In fact, we, we're going to be celebrating river baptism in about a month. And uh, it's one of my favorite events at Heritage throughout the year. I think it's Christmas or it's Easter, Christmas, and then river baptism for me. It's just awesome. And I just want to encourage you that if you have not stepped into the waters of baptism as an obedient part of your walk with Jesus, I highly encourage you to jump in on this event. In fact, uh, we, we put together a really great kind of montage of story uh, of people at Heritage who have gone through that moment and are trying to describe to us the power of their own sacrament of baptism for us. And so I want to just encourage you to watch this and celebrate because it's, it's really awesome to hear. My baptism was a moment that I will never forget. I mean, I felt just completely new. I think it was just like I had fully accepted who I was as a new person. We decided that it would be the perfect time for the four of us as a family to get baptized, and we did. And 
has been amazing. This is me making a public commitment to not only others, but to God and myself that this is where I want to be with the rest of my life. That no matter what happens, no matter if I make mistakes or think badly of myself or don't think I'm enough, I'm enough in Him. And that's all that matters. so awesome. And, and I want you to know that if you have any sort of desire to get baptized as a part of your own walk of obedience with Jesus, you can fill out a connection card, seatback card. You can uh, sign up online. There's a place there. Or you can even visit in your lobbies at campuses. You can visit the Next Steps area and talk to somebody and they can get you signed up. Because we do want to create space for you to take your next step in radical followership of Jesus to take your next step into a new and fulfilling resurrection life. It's this vivid reminder that while the cost of followership is high, the return on investment is amazing because it, it contains resurrection and it's just an awesome thing. But I, I, I want to come now, I want to kind of land a little bit with the so what moment. Now I tend to, I tend to keep so what short and sweet um, and I'm going to kind of, it's going to be that way today too, but I'm actually going to steal one more thing from Pastor Justin, and it comes in the form of a reflection question that I want you to consider. What is holding you back from absolute commitment to Jesus? What is holding you back from absolute commitment to Jesus? What's that one thing that you have not yet been able to let go of? What, what is that, you know, the, the fake pearl necklace? What, what is that for you? What, what is the one thing that you've been just holding so tightly onto. If, if someone were to sort of evaluate your whole life and, and look at all the things that you love and you're passionate about, would you be so passionate about Jesus that everything else pales in comparison? And if not, what's the, what are those things in your life that are stealing energy and passion and love and devotion away from your relationship with Jesus? So important that we begin to process those questions. Now, I, I love this parable, or these, these parables, and I love how Jesus does this, that he, he puts some well-placed hyperbole and overstatement as bookends around two parables that serve as a gift to us. And he teaches us that, that the cost of radical followership, it certainly is high. But then we also see through the witness of the scriptures that the ROI is off the charts, and that we're invited into a a life of mission and purpose. We're invited into a life of love and hope and joy and yes, resurrection. The cost is high, but the return on investment is higher. And so my prayer for us today is that we would pursue Jesus with just great passion and undivided loyalty and that we would together as a body of believers devote ourselves to radical followership of Jesus together. Let's pray. God, I thank you 
for your love and your mercy, and yes, even your patience, because this is a topic that is so difficult for all of us. It's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to think about allegiance, allegiance and loyalty and, and passion and love and, and trying to figure out how do we devote uh, all of our energies to, to who you are and who you want us to be and what does it look like to be a radical follower of you? And it, it's just, we understand the cost is high. But I thank you for being upfront with us about that and for giving us and lending us strength to have the courage to let go of those things that might stand in the way, that might compete with our love for you. And so I pray upon this beautiful body of believers, a spirit of discernment and wisdom to know what that thing or things are in their life that they need to let go. What's that thing that I need to let go in order to experience fuller surrender and devotion to you? Thank you, God, for who you are, for what you've done. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. You, you're the best. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.